What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter, hanging out with Nate Smith. Nate Smith is the CEO and founder of Lever, one of the most world-renowned ATSs, applicant tracking systems, and obviously he has a lot of perspective on that. Uh, in the industry, um, I had an absolute blast just talking some smack with him about talent acquisition, recruiting, HR, just tech, startups, and so many different things. He's a phenomenal leader. He's a phenomenal guy. I learned a lot from him personally as somebody who also has a tech startup in the HR uh, uh, HR space as well. And so, Nate, just thank you for what you've done for the industry and thank you for the amazing impact that Lever has uh, on just companies hiring. It's phenomenal. So thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast and I hope everybody enjoys it just as much as I did. Nate, thanks for getting, being a guest on this podcast. Thank you for having me, Matt. I'm a big fan of the uh, the decorative background. Did you pick that out yourself, or was that is that done for you? Oh no, I did that myself. I <laughs> uh, um, I don't have people that do things for me, Matt. <laughs> I don't you know about you. You and me both. I don't either. <laughs> it's it's a nice touch. I, I I like it. It's it's a good combo. Is the is the plant in the background? Is that up all the time, or is that is that a, is that a holiday festive thing? Oh, I mix it up. This is uh, this is just like a bush that I found in the forest. It, <laughs> it had pretty red berries, so I went for it. <laughs> Love that. I That's hope amazing. it's not poisonous. I actually have no idea what it is. It could well, be anything. I don't think if it's decorative, it's probably not. It doesn't really matter if it's poisonous. Right. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, actually, lots of decorative plants are poisonous. Well, I'm saying this is a really weird topic that we're on, by the way. I, I like to start to it, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we can, you know, transition away from poisonous bushes. Um, I guess, like, you know, tell me your life story. Let's hear it. Hear from the ground up. Sure. Um, like the easiest question of all time just to rattle off, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think a life story is a good place to start. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my life story... Uh, you know, I think it begins with my favorite photo of myself is from when I was three years old. I was sitting at a 8086 uh, IBM computer with my hands on the keyboard. I don't know if I actually knew how to use the computer or if my parents thought it was cute. Not sure. But uh, I like to think that I got started pretty young in this whole uh, technology world. And, uh, you know, from there, I, I just kind of had a natural interest in programming. Um, I went to uh, this really cool school called Olin College, which is outside of Boston. I was part of the second class there. Uh, really great experience. I got to learn about, of course, engineering. It's an engineering school, but also we were building a school from nothing, really. And it was really neat to be a part of creating clubs for the first time and figuring out how should we go about creating a curriculum, which of course the professors and staff did a lot of, but uh, the students got really involved in as well. So uh, always been really attracted to, I guess, somewhat chaotic environments, uh, you know, somewhat on the edge. And I always knew I'd get into startups. Um, after school came back to California, which is where I grew up, and I um, first needed to get a job in technology, of course. Um, my undergrad was actually in uh, computer and electrical engineering, which is a little bit more at the low level. But, um, you know, it was, it was pretty clear that kind of software was the, the way to go if you're into starting a startup. So 
I decided to join Google as like a good foundational experience. Uh, I was a product manager there for about four years. And then um, after that, I felt I had a really amazing experience. Uh, Google was an amazing place to work. I, I think it still is. Um, but ultimately, uh, I was looking for the next challenge. And so I was looking to find out what's an area that I can contribute to um, that is a little different than what everyone else is doing. Um, and found that there was a lot to be done in enterprise software. Um, and in particular, I found recruiting software, which was uh, an area that I felt there was a ton of op there was a ton of room to make things a lot better uh, than than what people were used to, and uh, also solve like a really important problem that affects people on a daily basis, both who are trying to hire people and who are trying to get jobs. So the um, first question: going to a college that was year you said year two, right? You were the second yep. class. So yep. did that feel like a startup in college? Like obviously, like a university is like the exact opposite of what most people think of when they yeah, think Yeah, I know. It's, but, it's actually really funny in that regard. Volume two, Academic though, institutions are kind of the... <laughs> academic institutions are perhaps the the oldest and most stayed in their ways of all, of all organizations out there, maybe except for churches. But uh, they come pretty close. And... It was pretty amazing to work at a college that was all about what could we do differently that would make education, higher education better. Um, it's a, it's actually a little bit of a controversial thing to try and do. It's well, that's what cool. I was thinking about. So like if you're at, you know, the idea of a college is they're so fu fundamentally rooted in the way they've kind of already always done things, right? And Right. Not all professors, but there's sometimes some professors with an arrogance about them with that regard, right? But yeah, well, none of them to... worked at all. In. <laughs> oh, that's what I was about they to say. opted yeah, you, out. You went to a school that like they didn't have any ability to have that, and so right. obviously it sounds like the feedback was open. You guys were able to like have influence on the direction of the college. I mean, so did it feel like a startup? Is that where that came from? I mean, it did. It did. I mean, I think. I was always kind of someone who would want to do a startup. I think it was just pretty inherent to my interests. And so it's not surprising that I chose a startup college given the opportunity. Um, and I think a lot of other people were attracted to it for that same reason. And, and that was actually part of my thought process is uh, one of the cool things about uh, college is that you get to meet people who a lot of times become lifelong friends. Um, you have really foundational experiences that bring you together. And I figured if I'm going to meet people that might be my lifelong friends, I should go somewhere where I'm going to meet other people that are into the same kind of slightly chaotic world. Uh, Cause that's what I, that's where I figured I'd find the most interesting people. And it, it worked out great. I, my group of friends from college are, are, are really spectacular people. Pre college, when you identified as startup, has that definition changed to what you identify as startup as today? So when you said you said you well went to, to be fair, when I was a kid, I used to think of it as being an inventor, which I guess ah. is what they teach you about in grade school. <laughs> they don't teach you about startups in grade school, or maybe they do now. They didn't when I was in grade school. I don't know most colleges that really even teach about startups either. So I don't know. If yeah, that exactly. In grade school, but <laughs> so 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 how is the so okay? So the transition from inventor to now what you describe as startup, what yep. is the same and what is different of Nate now versus Nate as a 
as a 10 year old uh, as a 10 year old inventor <laughs> <laughs> yeah to be clear i didn't actually invent anything of value at 10 years old it's well not, you had an imagination that you were and that's all that matters yeah it was it was all about aspiration at that point uh what i was really doing was you know it's very very normal um yeah so i i think the difference between how i thought about being an inventor and then what a what a startup is is that being an inventor is really just about products at the end of the day. You're thinking about um, what can I do that would be valuable to other people or what kinds of problems can I solve better? Completely separate from how do you actually get new products to people, uh, which is most of the work. <laughs> most of the work is getting customers, uh, figuring out what people want at a, at a greater scale, to make sure that it's impactful to a wide variety of people. Um, funding, how do you actually manage to take something that's valuable, leverage it into some amount of profit, which enables you to, or investment, um, which enables you to make more valuable things and kind of create a flywheel. Um, so ultimately a business, but uh, those kind of things like completely separate from the idea of, I just want to make something that's really cool or works really well or solves problems really well. Um, and that's, I think, uh, something you either learn because you go to business school or you try it and then you go, oh, shoot, I have a bunch of other things to do <laughs> that I didn't even really think about until now I'm in the middle of it. Um, it's it, you, you learn that actually running a startup is, is mostly about building a business and not about making things at the end of the day. So you, on that note, was uh, HR recruiting your first, was was that the first startup you took a stab at yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, first startup I started, um, still doing it now, eight years later. And um, it, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that it's, it's worked out as well as it has. And uh, we're still a, a growing company and um, still on, still on a great path. So um you know, for greater context, Lever, we make hiring software. Um, traditionally, people have bought a product called an ATS, Applicant Tracking System, which um, is this is both a category and also an idea of how recruiting should work. It's kind of the it's kind of a description of a workflow. So, an ATS is basically this idea that goes all the way back to people applying uh, with resumes with on paper to jobs physically. You would advertise the job in the newspaper. People would see the advertisement, send in their application. Someone would put those applications in a stack of paper, call some people up, move some applications forward, put others in a filing cabinet. Ultimately, you whittle it down to you find one person that you want to hire. You put that person in a different filing cabinet, and you never look at the paper again. And that's basically what an ATS is, but on a computer. You you know advertise a job on a job board, someone applies with a resume that looks shockingly similar to paper, but it's on a computer. We still have kind of the model of paper. Um, and then you move it from one stage to another, do some interviews, hire someone, never look at the applications again in most cases. Um, that's something that a lot of companies would like to really change is how can I rediscover the talent that I've interacted with in the past? How can I actually make it so that it feels to the candidate like I'm building a relationship with them over time so that maybe it wasn't the right time the first time we talked to them. 
Um, but things change. And then maybe down the road, um, it is going to be a better fit because the companies change and people change. Like they grow, they develop new skills. Um, and there's a lot of times where you've spent a lot of time getting to know each other. Um, and then you find out actually it's a better fit later or a new position comes along. That's a good fit for that person. But the first one you were looking at uh, just wasn't a great fit. So when you think about the ATS model and you compare it to what people would like to do in talent acquisition, they're really quite different. Um, and so the modern category that you know we, we see and a lot of companies are really embracing is this idea that you actually need a talent acquisition suite that both includes what we would call a candidate relationship management, as well as applicant tracking um, all in one. And so um, this, this kind of category is already evolving. Uh, and we were a big part of, of making that happen um, and are trying to continue to innovate in this regard and make talent acquisition just a much more human process um, that also is a lot more effective for companies um, so they can fill roles without spending quite so much time and so much money just trying to track down the right person. So when you first, um, I want to dive into that in a, in a second. When you sure. first had the adolescent idea of stepping into the HR recruiting technology space, uh, number one, were you still at Google when you had the first sort of entry? No, I wasn't actually. I You know, a lot of people, they're they tend to stay at a job until they feel like they have a good idea for something they want to start. Um, and that's actually I don't know, probably something called good like advice. Comfort. I, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> something like that. No, that's actually probably good advice for most people. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, what happened for me is I, uh, I felt like I couldn't really get a good handle on what would be something that was worth a, a really huge investment on my part um, without, spending some time at it. Um, ultimately, I think some people have a burning idea and they want to go for it. And that's totally cool. But the way that I was looking at the problem was there's a lot of different things that smart, creative people can get excited about. You know, there's before I worked at Google, um, I wasn't really that interested in a lot of the things that I worked on at Google. Like I worked on Google Analytics learned a ton about that, learned a ton about reporting and how to organize reports and like what was the thinking behind why certain things would be the default reports and how you would drill into further detail. Um, and then I became pretty obsessed with that for a while. Um, I also worked on Google Images and, you know, honestly, how to lay out like grids of images became a big obsession for a while. I learned tons and tons about that. It's a really weird esoteric topic, but Actually, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of work and creativity that's gone into the very products. We can either start with uh, poisonous bushes, or we can start about <laughs> grids on Google Images. It's your choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now I'm into poisonous bushes. That's uh, you know my my current passion. So um, yeah, there's just there's all these things that uh, I I think you could get excited about, and more than you're ever going to have time to in your lifetime. And so what I wanted to do was get some space from work and really, uh, so I saved up for a while and then made sure I had enough savings that I could uh, not work for, you know, at least a year and then um, do a lot of exploration where I met people and asked my friends questions. I read about markets on the internet, you know, read about, of course, the usual tech startup blogs, although um, 
you know, wanted to also see what what people weren't doing. And so I, I interviewed a lot of people and asked them about like, what things do you want to do? What things do you want that you imagine could be better, right? Um, tried to ask really open questions and do sort of fundamental research and then follow up and then research the markets of the companies that made products to solve those things. So it was actually maybe not the most common thing in Silicon Valley, to be honest. I think a lot of people... Um, for whatever reason, just kind of chase some idea they've been having, they've had for a while. But I started with like a super open mindset. It's a little bit more MBA style, frankly. Um, and I thought that, you know, the, the reason to do that was you're committing yourself to a market for 10 years. Building a startup takes a really, really long time. And when you think about it, if I'm it not, goes I'm well, not eight years in, but I'm five years in, and it feels <laughs> I'm like, what have I been doing for five years? Like, I, I'm I'm glad where we're at, but it's just like this takes so much longer than I thought. <laughs> it takes a super long time, and that's actually the thing most people don't think about when they want to start a company. In my experience, I've had this yeah. conversation with plenty of founders. It's like you you end up four years in, and you're like, what happened in the last four years? Um, and yeah, you know, it's a significant portion of your life. You only get to do this so many times in your lifetime. So I figured I needed to pick carefully. Um, and so, yeah, I did a lot of market research and uh, talked to people to make sure that there was a valuable problem to be solved, that things could be better. I talked to investors that were friends of mine. I talked to, um, yeah, just like people they knew. And then ultimately was like, yeah, this is the one. This is the opportunity that... I think if I do it, I could do something really unique and I could do it better than the other people in the market, which I think is really important. Did, when was the um, when was the shift from kind of soaking in asking questions, just understanding to now I have identified a problem or an idea and I'll let you decide which one it was, but identified a problem or have an idea that now I'm going to go make sure that's worth solving. Like when was the shift from seeking information to, okay, identified something, now it's time to go pursue. Do you have a moment or a, a pendulum? Yeah, it's when people when offer to pay you money to solve the problem. <laughs> Usually a pretty good indicator, yep, yep, that's, yep. That's the answer. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, what happened was I was talking to a bunch of different people. Um, the idea of redoing uh, applicant tracking software came up because I was talking to a friend of mine uh, and he worked at Square in the early days, really, really early days. And uh, they were using Jobvite and um, they looked for a bunch of different things on the market. Um, and they made this crazy spreadsheet. They, they listed out like 20, 30 products. And then I don't even know how many columns there were, but dozens of columns of like, does it do this? Does it do that? We, One you would know, say maybe too much detail, but you know. <laughs> too much detail. I, it was, I would say a waste of time. <laughs> but... <laughs> You couldn't tell him that. You couldn't tell him that because you're so proud yeah. of it. That's the problem. <laughs> well, but you know, you only do that kind of thing when um, when you're really, really desperate, right? Like if if that person had like looked at a couple different products and went, oh, this is what I want, they would have not made that insane spreadsheet. So the way I looked at it was if someone went to this much trouble, um, they probably were very frustrated that they weren't finding what they were looking for. That was the way I thought about it. And um, at the end of the day, they decided not to switch systems. So they were like, yeah, this is the best thing out there. Um, and then they were like, hey, can we like hire you to like work on this and make something better just in-house? And I said, well, no, but um, 
you know, that's really interesting. <laughs> pay me lots of money independently so I can sell it to other people. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, it, it wouldn't have made sense necessarily to sell to them because they were a sufficiently large company that it wasn't like a great starter customer for us. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so we didn't end up like working with them. But, you know, that was a really big signal. Um, and then we, you know, started from something that was a little more uh, tractable for for customers that we could serve better and, and built it from there. Was the name Lever the like the original name or did you evolve that no it was the original name um i wrote a script because for context this is 2012 and um it like one word noun startups were what you do yeah. <laughs> it was just like the thing that yeah. year um and so basically wrote a script to just like go through a dictionary and ping a bunch of domains and see what was out there and look for ones that were like, you know, I, I wrote some quick heuristics that were like, is this a real company or not? Um, or is it just like a parked page or something? And uh, lever.com is actually still owned by Unilever. Um, the, the Unilever was actually a merger between Lever Brothers and um, another company that I'm blanking on right now, <laughs> but um, they they basically merged. And so they still have like this legacy brand of of Lever and the they own the domain, but they don't use it for anything. It literally doesn't even resolve. It doesn't redirect, which I think isn't is that, crazy. Isn't that the worst? We have the same thing with Wedge. So we, yeah. we, we were competitive Wedge and competitive is like lesson learned, one of the stupidest names ever because nobody can spell it. But then we also we also had to compete with SEO with like Titleist and TaylorMade because of uh, golf mm. wedges. Yeah. So just lessons that you learn. We're now Wedge HR, which is much more industry understood, whatever. But right, right. Wedge, I, I don't think Wedge.com is even used for anything. And so it's the right. same. It's the same thing where it's like, man, this is annoying. Just please use it. I'd rather a competitor use it than uh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of understand what you're saying. Yeah, we ended up with Lever.co, which is fine. Um, it would be nice to have a .com, but these days most people just use Google anyway, so it doesn't make that much big that big of a difference, practically speaking. If you search for Lever, you find our website at the top. Yeah. The only thing we compete with is the dictionary, which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good result. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's fine. You can deal with that. All right. So so um, you basically the 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 major switch was when you had somebody straight up say, well pay you money if you can fix this for us so yep. was that was that all of a sudden then you went and validated that that was true among others or did you just go right forward from there what was that oh no um so from there i went and i i talked to a couple different people i happened to just be friends with some vcs so you know not everyone's friends with vcs i got lucky and knew some yeah, people not, from not, google not a bad not a bad friend group to have for start, yeah, that for was that was nice um so, in, you know, what's interesting about talking to investors like way before you even start or even build a team is you at least get a sense of what they really think, uh, probably a little bit more authentically than once you actually do start. Because once you start, investors are always nice to everyone as a rule with a few exceptions. But generally speaking, all investors are nice to everyone with some exceptions. And the reason why is it's just self-interest. Like investors always want to have the option to invest once a company is successful. So if you bring to them an unsuccessful company, the calculus is pretty simple. They're like, well, if it's successful, I want to invest. 
if it's not successful, I want the person to like me so that in case it becomes successful, they come back. <laughs> so I don't ever want to be mean to anyone because no, then exactly. I won't get another option. The number option. of awesome, great, this is really nice. You know, that's a, okay, they just yeah. want to be my friend, but they're not interested right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If someone says, this is really great, I'm super interested, actually means nothing. If someone says, I would like to write you a check, that means something. <laughs> also, the, <laughs> so. the other, the other, it's always a really bad sign when you get, I'm super interested. I'm also going to make some introductions to some other people, which means they're not interested at all, but they're still yeah. trying to be nice. <laughs> yeah, there's that. There's also like, hey, I'm really interested. How about you try and sell to someone that I know oh, yeah. and then see how that goes? That never goes well. No, Don't do never. That. That's never a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a waste of everyone's time. Because they're not going to be a good customer. They always want a discount. And by the time the deal actually goes through, you're, yeah, it's brutal. We could probably yeah. do like four hours. And if it podcast. doesn't go through, then it looks bad. Like <laughs> there's just like no, there's no situation in which that turns out well. Oh yeah. It's um, like dating. It's like dating your siblings' friends. Like it's just yes. not, nothing good. Don't do happen. it. Just say no. <laughs> just go find someone new. So <laughs> just go back to the bar and find someone else. Um, so yeah, I think uh, basically I, I talked to some people just to get a take on the market before I'd actually started anything or gone down the, that road at all. In which case I got much more honest input. Uh, you know, I got the sense that investors generally believe that the market, there was, it was a big market, but they were kind of mystified by the fact that there was a lot of competition and there wasn't a clear leader. And that that ended up being really useful input. Um, any business you're going to start is going to have some positives and negatives. And in our case, it was like, well, there's a lot of existing competitors. There's not one competitor. There's like many existing competitors. And that's both good and bad. Um, on the good side, you know, it's it's harder to compete against a really dominant player like Salesforce or uh, Google at search or, you know, those kind of entrenched competitors, like starting a Facebook competitor, I think is just utterly mad. I would never do it. Um, I did not want to be doing one of those kind of businesses. I would much rather go into a competitive market where no one's dominant, at least then you have a chance. Um, but at the same time, you know, competitive markets are also a challenge because you have to both do something new and interesting and different. And you have to do a lot of things that meet the existing expectations. And so how to like prioritize all those different things at the same time can be a real challenge um, in making sure that you're, you're both covering enough of the foundations and then also doing something new on top of that. Are you internally competitive or externally competitive? Uh, how do you mean that question? Internally meaning, are you trying to compete with yourself for building the best thing you can build or externally you're trying to be the best thing in the market? Yes, they can. Yes, they can go hand in hand. But like personally, what drives you more? Well, what drives me more is, is I guess, the internally competitive one. But I think that you, you you'd be foolish to only do that. <laughs> so true. <laughs> like that's what makes me excited. But if that's all you do ever, you'll probably realize that you've lost the great opportunity. Right. So. Not that, to knock on engineers, I feel like some engineers occasionally get a little bit overly perfect with things to the yeah. point where it's perfect to them, but like it was good enough way, way, way long time ago. But sure. also at the same time, you need that. So anyways. Exactly. Right, cool. I think that that's kind of been my big learning from the experience uh, of doing such a long <laughs> dedication to one thing is that 
getting the mix is really the the most interesting and challenging component is how can you both always be pushing the envelope and always be uh, meeting people where they are so that they can embrace and use all the the cool stuff that you've done. Um, that's that's actually, I think, the art of of building a great product that it, at least in a very practical category, like it might be very different in consumer where a lot of it is about fashion and trends, um, excitement, like that's perfectly that's perfectly a great way to build a product. Um, but when you're in something that you have more pragmatic buyers like enterprise software, you do need to both do something exciting and new and also solve people's needs really fundamentally. And yep. um, you can't compromise on either too much or you just won't make a big difference in the market. What um, if you could identify today? Well, I guess number the, uh, I hope this is an okay question to ask. Sure. Day one, when you sought out to solve a problem versus today, is it the same problem? It's not the same problem. The there's a lot of similarity, but um, the original problem was, man, applicant tracking systems are really painful to use software, and they're really clunky. And like, why is that? Like, why are there twenty products and they're all really painful? <laughs> um, and I figured that it wasn't just that the people who built those products weren't good at, at what they did or, you know, weren't great engineers or great designers or, you know, they're smart people <laughs> who made these other products. There's a reason that <laughs> they were out of touch with what people wanted from the market today. And, you know, anybody who views their competitions as like, wow, these people suck or they're so malicious yeah, or exactly. they're just dumb. It's just you're just oblivious to the world. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. There's there's really smart people on the other side, at least yeah, as smart exactly. as you are. <laughs> and so you have to believe that you're doing something different. Either you're looking at the problem a different way or you've come up with a different kind of solution or maybe the other people did stuff at under certain circumstances and then today's circumstances are different. And so in, in our case, I figured what had happened was that a lot of these systems were effectively designed around a process that was like 30 to 50 years old, right? It's like the hiring process of using paper went back many, many years. Uh, the translation into doing it on a computer was pretty obvious. And they really just carried forward a lot of the legacy ideas. And that, that was great. I mean, that was actually a really useful innovation at the time. They solved the paper overload problem, if anyone remembers that from the 90s. Um, and they did a lot to make things more efficient. But then they also created a bunch of new problems, as often happens. When anyone on the internet can apply to a job, you get a bunch of irrelevant applications. Uh, this wasn't really a problem with paper. People didn't like mail in millions of applications. No, no not at all. <laughs> but they do that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the instant so, apply button, instant apply, instant apply. That's very it's, it's not all good. It's very different good. than all the stamps you got to send out, all the different addresses you have to write. Very different altogether. Very different situation. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and the idea of putting stamps on the internet is never quite taken <laughs> off. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I wish spam required like stamps or some some barrier of cost that at least... This has been proposed many times. Yeah, I know, it's very I know. hard I know, to I know make it's it happen. Not new, but... <laughs> How do you get out I, of the spam folder? You have to add a stamp so at least proves that you're thinking who you're sending emails to. <laughs> it would be amazing if anyone can if anyone can actually figure out how to do that. But uh, it, it is thus far eluded us. So, 
we'll talk yeah, to a I bunch think, of people and see if we can get somebody to pay us money and then we'll go from there so <laughs> i think people have literally done that one before <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> uh, yeah so i you know i assumed that look the problems were just very different and so um that was what got me excited was i was like i think that there's a different solution here i don't know what it is frankly when we started we actually had no idea uh like what was the hook uh we didn't know and we just figured we'd do a lot of research so uh we worked with uh you know like other companies, we got to understand their hiring process, shadowed recruiters, sat next to them as they were working. And then what we discovered was that there were a couple fundamental things. One, uh, recruiters that were really effective had great relationships with hiring managers, which maybe is obvious or maybe isn't obvious at all. About, you're talking about internal recruiters. Internal. Like, yeah. yeah. Internal recruiters. Uh, that were really effective would have great relationships with their hiring managers. Like they would have weekly meetings that were really effective and they'd go over pipeline together. The managers would help with sale calls. The recruiters would get intel on whether the candidate was was sold or not. Like they would have these like great tag teams, right? And the the managers would go and source candidates. The recruiters would go and find people. They're always coming up with new ideas. Um, they were really on the ball with giving feedback quickly. And then when you looked at teams that weren't effective, the the most common thing was hiring managers were super disengaged. They wouldn't, um, they often wouldn't even log into the software at all. <laughs> and a lot of times the recruiters would have to chase them down to get interview feedback physically. It's the only <laughs> time like a per seat model is really the dream is when they, you know, hiring manager pays for a seat and never logs in. <laughs> <laughs> well, per seat models don't really work super great in our category. <laughs> no, never, never at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because they quickly learn you can just share logins, but <laughs> also that, yes. Yeah. So uh, ultimately, that was one really big insight was if you can figure out a way to make the hiring process really collaborative, like truly collaborative, people working together to do this thing as a group, then people got better at recruiting, period. They just like hired people faster. They were more likely to close a good candidate because there's a way better candidate experience. And also they were usually working on the people who are better aligned and a better fit for the role. Um, it's a very human thing. And so we realized that collaboration was a big part of how the software needed to improve. We also realized that the people that everyone uh, got really excited about by and large did not apply to the job. They came in through a referral, they sometimes were an internal hire. Someone was like, oh, there's this person in the other department. I think they could be really great. Um, they went out and found them on the internet. Um, they went to a college and met them there or went to an event and met them there. Um, that's where the great people came from. And so we realized that the entire concept of the applicant tracking system made no sense when no one wanted to hire applicants and they wanted to hire everything but applicants. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> so, exactly. The funnel, fixing the funnel of applicants is not relevant if the good candidates aren't in there, right? Yeah, the good candidates did not apply uh, almost yeah. as a rule. And so people learned very quickly to ignore their applicant funnels and do everything else, which because they're using an applicant tracking system meant that their real hiring was mostly happening somewhere else in a spreadsheet or someone's email or what have you huge problem from a uh you know privacy standpoint as we're worried about today is like who the heck knows where all that information is being tracked if it's not uh being centralized and managed in a system where people can say hey i want to opt out of being in this thing <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, right 
So that was a big challenge. Uh, you know, legal compliance, if you were to ever get audited, going and finding all those random trackers that people have made over the years is near impossible. Um, so if you ever had to deal with, uh, you know, an employment lawsuit, that could be a huge liability. So you basically realized that the, the only way to both effectively hire people by encouraging collaboration and also, um, you know, be compliant as a business was you really needed one system that both was a, a CRM that managed all these different sources and could capture candidates no matter where they came from. Um, and then also did have the checkbox of being an ATS because that's also something that everyone has to have as well, both for legal reasons and because, you know, it's your kind of central place to go to, to see what jobs is this company offering? So um, that was a totally different uh, problem that we arrived at. But the only reason we got there was we spent a lot of time with people, uh, watch them, observe them, ask them questions, and then figured out, well, what problems are they really trying to solve? And are those problems different than what the software is trying to solve? I like that. I like that. Um, through your eight-year journey, well, sounds like some years before that, through the the is it 10 years safe to say? Sure. We'll call it a decade. What <laughs> yeah. would you say was the the hardest person like the personally toughest season? Ooh, so many to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Anybody who's like, man, I want to start a business to have my own schedule and make tons of money and do all this. Like, Dude, yeah, go get a job at a tech for, company. Sign, sign me up for that business. <laughs> if your goal is to make money with any degree of confidence, go work for a big tech company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Brutal. Um, yeah, anyways, uh, I'd, love to hear, yeah. I'd love to hear your thought on that. Um. Yeah. So I think that the toughest one was for me, partially because it was like one of the first toughest ones. Um, I think after a while, you, you start to get used to these things, sadly, but also it's it's a benefit. Um, so the, the first thing that was really hard was I had a co-founder who ultimately just didn't work out because we weren't super aligned on exactly what business we wanted to do as it started to evolve. This is a pretty common story. A lot of people go through this. And I had a partner found... that I bought out. I had a partner in college that I had to buy out because we saw different directions of things. So I've yeah. been, been down the ringer as well. It's something you hear that's all too common. It's it's actually, unfortunately, quite common. Um, and, you know, we, we just couldn't figure out a way to still have a good role for for both of us in the business and be aligned with everyone else on the team. And so there was a lot of conflict over uh, just a lot of things because we weren't sufficiently aligned. Um, and I realized that we were moving slowly because of it. And that's death to a startup. So at the end of the day, um, it was pretty obvious that we needed to make a change, uh, had to part ways. But I definitely waited too long also unfortunately common <laughs> and yeah this is what this is what uh advice you give to basically every new manager is look you know fire people way before you think you need to um it's almost always way too late by the time you actually get around to it and the newer the, the less experience you have as a manager the more true that is uh you have to go through this a few times before you start to realize that it's actually best for everyone and you're gonna end up there anyway so just do it sooner and it's it's definitely the best way to go. So, you know, that was my first real serious like 
parting ways with someone. It wasn't literally the first time I had to let someone go, but it was pretty early into that. And it was someone that helped build the business with me and um, was a really amazing, I mean, supporter. And um, like, it's really hard to part ways with someone who's like genuinely a good person that um, has done a lot to help and put a ridiculous amount of effort in and they didn't do anything wrong, but it's also not working. And that was hard to do. Um, so, you talking about dating? You talking about dating relationships? Or <laughs> relationships? <laughs> yeah, it can sound really similar. Um, so yeah, it was it was really hard. And at the at the end of the day, I uh, realized that we were not going to be successful if we didn't do it. So it was grappling with the reality that. Like I was afraid that this could ruin the company if I went forward with doing this thing, but I knew that if I didn't do this thing, it would definitely ruin the company. Um, and so I had to do it. And since then, I've gotten a little more used to that, uh, which is you, you realize as you go through a number of these events, and a lot of them do revolve around people, um, that it's, you, you, start to, you start to realize like, oh, the pattern matching is by the time that I do this, I'm already going to feel better that we're moving in a new direction. The company is never actually reliant on one person, even though you often think it is. Yeah, that's um, so true. And so you you really have to get out of that way of thinking. You know, like your your mind often goes to, well, if this happens, then this might happen, and then that might happen, and then catastrophe. <laughs> um, but the reality is. There's like a million ways that all these things can play out and yeah. you just can't anticipate it. And just because you're going down like a possible like negative pathway with like, if this, then that, then that, then that, that doesn't mean that it's going to go that way. And you're probably not even thinking about all the positive things that can happen that are possibilities that are impossible to predict once another positive thing happens. The world just isn't, you know... It just isn't predictable. So stop trying. <laughs> That's yeah, I think so what, I've, what I've learned so is true. just <laughs> do the thing that is obviously the right thing to do. And don't worry too much because yeah. it doesn't help. It just no, doesn't. No, if you spend no good comes time worrying, it's going to be, you know, it's going to have a total, you know, just rope you into just making such bad decisions. And yeah, I, I totally agree. Just People need to worry totally. a little less. <laughs> it makes a big difference. And so... Constrain um, is the word I was looking for. I was thinking contradict, but it's constrain. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Well, constraints are, I think, half the battle of, of doing a new business is what are we not doing? <laughs> <laughs> so true. So, all right, flip flip the script on that. What would what was the... Do you have in, in the 10 years, um, do you have one moment that was like, all right, man, I love what I'm doing. Or I, 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 not, not that you've like made it or maybe you've had that, but was, have you ever had a moment that was just like, all right, heck yeah. There are a lot of those. I mean, a lot of them are hiring someone that you're like, wow, I never thought I'd be able to hire someone that's like this impressive in whatever way is important to you at that point in time. Or, um, you know, you talk to a customer and they go, you know, this is what it was like. And you're like, that is literally exactly what I wanted someone to say to me one day. <laughs> it's like that they valued those things. Oh yeah. Um, or, you know, raising money is, is exciting. Um, 
it's not really an end in and of itself. And, and frankly, it's also like kind of extremely scary because you're signing up for a ridiculous amount of responsibility. So you're mostly just making your problems amplified in addition to. Yeah, it's a weird uh, thing making... that you finally you finally get the check or the wire. But then also right. you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is a lot of strings attached. <laughs> yeah, you just you just invited a lot of stress to your front door. But, yeah. it, you know, it's nice to like it's nice to win. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> so whenever you land a big deal or you secure some some funding or something like that, I mean, for me personally, I am a little competitive and yeah. I'm like, boy, it feels good to win. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of positives. I don't think there was one that was like everything is amazing. I have achieved it. The thing that gets closest is probably the one I mentioned about a customer. If a customer goes, Hey, this, you know, I use this thing and then this happened and then this was my experience. And, you know, I really appreciate it because this thing, and you're like, Holy crap, that was exactly what I was trying to do. Can you uh, uh, record that so I can send it to somebody else, please? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I've, I've done that. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. As you should. As yes, you should. as you should. I Don't worry. Any any candidate, like, so we're at a stage now with, we. I get quite a few messages on LinkedIn of somebody who applied for a job, went through a video interview, and then sent uh, uh, just, hey, went through Wedge and had a good experience. And, right. you know, reading those and sending those to the team, those are pretty fun. Those are those Yeah, are those fun are amazing. Ways good experience and the whole work. So, all right. So, so my favorite question of the planet, and there's kind of two parts to this is uh, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? And I want to hear your perspective on that. And also I want to hear that roped in with like kind of what's, what's next for you, whether it's in the context of, you know, current business, uh, future things, whatever. So number one, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Number two, kind of what, what's, what's next? Yeah. I um, you know, I think what gets me out of bed is I really like making things that are excellent. You actually asked me about this earlier. And the way I think about that is not just is this thing exciting because it looks good or it works really well or all those other qualities that are really important. I mean, I think the 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 actual quality of the things that we make and use uh, really does enhance our lives on a daily basis. So that's that's a big part of it. But I also like to think... Um, you know, I'm one of billions of people. <laughs> I'm not that special. There's lots of other smart people, smarter than me out there. And they're also doing stuff and they're also making things and making the world better. And is there an area where when I think about it, there's a good chance that no one else is going to do the thing the way I would or solve the problem and kind of the inflection that I would solve it with? Uh, because that, I think, really adds value to the world even if it doesn't become the very most popular thing or uh, the the dominant uh, solution to a problem, creating really novel, excellent solutions can help other people later to create something better off of that. And you can't even really imagine all the positive outcomes that are possible. So I like to think about, is what I'm doing going to either directly make the world more interesting because I did something differently that someone else wouldn't do? Or is it going to indirectly have a really big effect because what I created was novel and um, in a really good and excellent way? That, that's that's the way I think about solving problems uh, kind of on a regular basis. So that um, that's what makes me keep going back to work is there's always some new thing to do that is like still untapped. Um, there's always some new problem to solve or some new solution that no one's ever thought of, or they just haven't tried to do it yet. Um, you gotta, you gotta keep optimistic and 
keep believing that there's there's ways to solve problems that haven't been imagined yet. That's so good. So good. So um, for people that want to reach out to you or they want to learn more about your company or connect, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So uh, lever.co is our website or just search on Google for lever. Uh, you'll find us. <laughs> Not.com. Stop sending SEO their way. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It doesn't resolve. <laughs> Nothing will be lost. Uh, yeah. Just just go to lever.co. Um, and uh, yeah, we have plenty of buttons, uh, ways to get in touch with us. So feel free to, to do that. We have a phone number. You can give us a call. Um, and uh, feel free to reach out to myself. Uh, my email is, is Nate at lever.co. So pretty easy to get a hold of. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. It's been a blast. I've personally learned a lot. It's Thanks, fun Matt. to be co-mutual with somebody in the space. So just thank you so much for being a guest. Yeah, it was great. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Matt Baxter Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye.